Welcome to the Intersecting Us podcast, where math and life intersect. In today's episode, Brian and Dave discuss imagination, reality, and artificial minds, an attempt to decode intelligence. What if non-physical things really existed? Is that something you can get your mind around? If you were going to draw a picture of a non-physical thing, what, what, what would that look like? This is what we're going to talk about a little bit today on our podcast about non-physical things. Uh, last time uh, we talked about uh, imaginary things and beautiful equations. The time before that, we had some conversations about what it means uh, to have a non-physical presence and, and how that works and how that works in eternity. And we're going we're to hit that some again. So Dave, I'll bring you in here. I, you know, just get get us started. Uh, and this, I do this a lot when I do presentations. I'll have people. Uh, we'll be reading a text or something, and I'll say, "Now let's imagine this." So what I always have to do, and I don't. If you're driving, if you're the one driving the car right now, I don't recommend this. But if you're not, I always have to close my eyes, and then then somehow I I'm able to. For some reason that you know it gets the picture of what's right in front of me out of there, so at least gives me a little bit better shot. But Dave, if you, you don't have to close your eyes if you don't want to, but I know you're not driving. But if, if I say, you know, we've talked about a non-physical being maybe starting everything and that but we have non-physical parts of ourselves that we call, some people call spirit, some people call soul. And we've talked about the possibility of those existing. When you think about either, and I go either way you want, just a non-physical thing, whether it's a being, yourself, what do you see? What do you imagine? Oh, boy. I tell you, I love using my imagination to do math. And for me, those math questions are, uh, I think, actually easier than some questions you throw at me, Brian. Uh, (laughs) And it really stretches my imagination, which is good. But just thinking very simplistically, I always like to think of the wind blowing that I don't see the wind, but I can see the effects of the wind. And then uh, I've been told by others that that is uh, sometimes a good analogy for kind of like spiritual things, uh, the spiritual beings that maybe we don't actually see those spiritual things physically, but we can see the effects of those things. And so in my very simple mind, I often go down that route because it makes sense to me. Yeah, and I think that's good. When I've asked this question to people, sometimes they'll come back. I just saw darkness. I, I just saw nothing. And I'm like, part of me is like, good. I think you've completely imagined what a non-physical thing is, you know, because it's obviously by definition non-physical. What we too try to do is bring it into maybe a physical idea and then when we open our eyes, it's not there again. And of course, there's a difference. You get into some really interesting metaphysical things there because the reality, a lot of, uh, well, it doesn't even have to be religions, you know, different worldviews about what those things that exist. And then you got other people who think if you think those things exist, that you need to be in a padded cell. You know, it's just kind of <laughs> that you're thinking of things that aren't real. And, and, you know, we call that schizophrenia when you get to the point where, you, you things that aren't real, you think are real and it affects you. And, and so we're not, to, I don't want you to be schizophrenic. I don't want that. But if, you know, if people did see nothing that, that is kind of the point. 
but just because we don't see it. And I think your wind analogy is pretty good. And I, this is what it comes down to. Just because we don't see something doesn't mean it's not real. And that gets mm-hmm. that real word in there. Maybe it'd be good, you know, because we obviously this is math and life. This is kind of more the life side on this particular podcast. But there is a term called real numbers. So maybe I thought maybe you could give us, and I think I'm saying this right. What is the antithesis? Because there's real numbers, but that doesn't make up all the numbers. So mm-hmm. what else is there? You know, in 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 life, we might say what's the antithesis or what's the opposite. But in math, if you got real numbers and that's not everything, what other kind of numbers do you have? Well, there's a set that contains the real numbers that's bigger than the real numbers. So if you think about like maybe the real numbers might be a box, then there's a bigger box where the box of real numbers completely is inside this other box. So the bigger box is called the complex numbers. And so within the complex numbers are all the real numbers. So every real number is a complex number. But not every complex number is a real number. So there are numbers in the complex numbers that are not real. And those numbers simply involve the imaginary number I. So one plus two I is a complex number and it is not a real number because you have I in that expression. And so that would be an example of a complex number that is not a real number. And so it may not be the opposite of a real number, but it's what's in the set of complex numbers that is not a real number. So I, and I think that's, I like this, and this is what we've been doing throughout our whole existence is intersecting us with videos and podcasts and stories. And it's the idea of how the math concept can start and then what we would maybe call the life concept, how they intersect. Because as you were saying that, for instance, if if we find out that there was, uh, and this sounds kind of morbid, but it's the one that comes to mind. You find out that somebody, you go into a room and somebody has a, a knife in the back and they're back and they're dead. Uh, and it's real. <laughs> they're, they're really dead. So you're the detective, you go in there and you get somebody on the stand that has has witnessed apparently was there when it happened. And they say, well, um, this being popped out of nowhere, grabbed a knife, stabbed him in the back, and then popped back out into nothingness. Now, I might, if I'm the prosecuting attorney there, I might say, yeah, but is that real? Was that real? You know, I see, it, it, again, that's, a, that's the same word you just used with math. Mm-hmm. But it's obviously a little bit, you know, different idea, but that's not completely a different idea because, you know, you said in some ways, and I don't know if this is, is grammatically correct, but I'm going to use it anyway for our concepts that you could say that not the opposite or the, a difference from a real number is an imaginary number. I mean, that we'll, we'll go with that for now. Well, that's, you could say that here too. It's like, did you imagine that guy, you know, popping into nothing, you know, and, and how much credibility would we give that witness? Who thought that you know, or that it, you know, an angel did it, or a, a jinn? If you're if you're a Muslim, uh, you know, the uh, different beings that are out there. It's like that's when we're getting this this metaphysical stuff about non physical things. But we've even talked about non physical beings, or even a non physical self. What is real 
this is where we're getting into some really cool what we call metaphysics because that's kind of what the definition of metaphysics what is what is real that that really exists that we can't measure that's mm-hmm. tough. Yeah. right and to maybe complete the uh analogy within the set of real numbers and of course these are just math terms so it doesn't necessarily mean these are the best terms that are out there but it's what math people have come up with and they've come up with the terminology that there's two sets of numbers within the real numbers and one set they call the rational numbers and then the other set they call the irrational numbers. So as mathematicians, what we're saying is, quote, real is anything that is rational or anything that is irrational. Yeah, yeah. But but it's not imaginary is not real. <laughs> well, that's what you could say to say we still got the same courtroom and we say you could say it differently. It says, OK, you're thinking something popped in and, and, and you know, I could be a nice philosopher lawyer. I could say, well, you know, that's possible. But is it really rational or is mm-hmm. that more of an irrational state? You know, again, that's a little different right. than we're talking about, but the words are still there. And I right. think what when we come back all down to it. Last week, we talked about, you know, Euler's beautiful equation. Well, it's real in, in some ways, but it's not, it's almost like you get back to Plato. If you remember his uh, forms, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a chair across this room. You know, that, that's a, uh, that's an instance of a chair, but there's somewhere there's the perfect chair form or the color brown or the color red or, you know, the, anything you want to use. And there's a whole bunch of different philosophical things about that. About, but that's that formula. It's real, but it's not something you can. It, it doesn't have take up space. I mean, the using a pen or something on your paper. Well, that's real. I know that's physical, but the actual formula itself kind of exists in. It's almost like an abstract object. And you know, it's got a form, but it's not it doesn't have any weight. You know, how much does Euler's beautiful equation weigh? <laughs> how long is it? Well, it doesn't really make any. That, that's those are category errors. You know, and it's, it, it's the same thing. With people say, I remember uh, reading a study of, uh, and we may have talked about this before, but anyway, reading a study about somebody wanted to find how much the soul weighed. I mean, seriously, a human soul. So they did a bunch of, I think it was like 300 different deaths where they weighed the body before the death and after the death. And it came out, I can't remember the exact, it was, it was, insignificant when it comes to weight but it was there was a difference but so they they had said but is that a category error you know it, it's just like you know what color is the wind you know it's just like well that's a category error. you know it doesn't have color you know and, and that's you know or, yeah anything like that you know what color is math you know it, it just doesn't make sense yeah so when you come back into this we have something so you have real in math that that kind of talks about imaginary is, is kind of, and then in life, we, we use that somewhat, but really probably the, the antithesis of real in, 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 and this is not too hard because you just put the negative in front of it is not real, you know, mm-hmm. but, but how would we define not real in life? We might use the word imaginary, or we might use a word that's become pretty popular, uh, for lots of reasons in our culture. We could use the word artificial. And now we're getting, now you put that in front of something. So like, uh, I remember, uh, I did, uh, have the, the beauty or the, the, the privilege, I guess, of playing football, American football, if you're listening outside, not the, the other part, the soccer, but, um, uh, for a number of years into college. And 
sometimes we'd be on grass and somehow we'd be all this stuff called artificial turf, you know, because it wasn't real grass. You know, that's the, so there's, we use that term artificial, but the one I'm thinking about, and we talked about this a little bit last week, so we won't get into that particular part, but we're going to get a little bit deeper into this is the term artificial intelligence, which the way we've gone so far, we would say that's not real intelligence. Because if we defined intelligence as the ability to create, uh, I suppose, complex ideas by yourself, you know, within your own, and that might not be the greatest definition, but hey, our podcast, that's what we're going to use right now. You can certainly put comments in there if there's a better definition. But being able, if you have, if you're intelligent, it's not intelligent, you know, we could have a, you know, a minor bird can say the same thing that, that Euler could have said, but it's not intelligence, it's just repeating and it. it's not coming from itself where intelligence is something that comes from a being, you know, well, we're saying that, that these chat GPT or I always want to put a robot because it makes it easier to come a robot who's doing tasks that may be intelligent, but it's artificial intelligence. It's not real intelligence. So when you hear those two terms, Dave, do you, I don't know if the math thing helps, but just in general, what would you say is, and it's a little bit opening question, but we'll try to maybe answer it together. But what would you say would be the difference between real intelligence and artificial intelligence? How could you tell the difference? Mm -hmm. I think we touched on this in a previous podcast, but one of the foundations of math, of course, are proofs. And up until just the last 30 years, all proofs were done by humans writing on paper. And about 30 years ago, there was this four-color problem that was trying to be proved where you could color a map with only four colors. And I'm not going to get into all the details of it. But the idea was that this theorem was proved by a computer algorithm. In other words, they ran, someone wrote a program and in that program, it, it, it proved that this theorem was true, but it was, and it still is debated amongst mathematicians as to whether this proof is acceptable or not because there's, New things that get introduced into a proof when you bring a computer into it. And so is it possible the computer made a mistake? The volume of data that the computer generated was so much that no human was going to be able to verify every calculation. And so you almost needed a, a computer to check the computer. Well, then you're no better off than you were before because how can you trust that other computer? Mm. And so I think that that is an example where in the math world, they're wrestling with what would be considered an acceptable math proof. Can we allow computer programming into that world? And, and that still has people on both sides of the camp. And I do think you see that in science and in other things. You know, I mean, I know professors I've talked to. Uh, which is this is science would be more an education, but, you know, harder and harder to determine whether, you know, a term paper has been generated by the person who turned it in or some sort of artificial intelligent uh, 
program that, you know, you can tell these things, you know, I know Bard's that way, chat GPT say, you know, write me a paper based on, you know, write me a 5,000 page paper on, you know, whatever the concept is. And it just does it for you. And it's hard to tell the difference. And this is so it's interesting because in our, in our series for eternity, what happens when you do eternity in physical world? We talked about the universe. You keep going backwards to try to find, you know, the, the, the beginning of something. And then it, it is our universe eternal past. You know, we talked about how that was what was believed until the Big Bang cosmology came out. And that seems to be not true physically. But then we talked about, well, what's before that? And we got into the idea of maybe a non-physical being that, that created all that. But that that's the key, I think, created. I think that's the word. Does this artificially intelligent program or robot or whatever you want to call it that creates proofs for math or is able to beat the best chess players in the world, somebody had to create it and put in the concepts for it to be able to to luck intelligent. And I think maybe that is the answer to try to figure out the difference between real and artificial is if you can figure out the creator. <laughs> that may not be the only thing, but I think it's important. Uh-huh. Uh, which brings us back to our, you know, of course, our own existential ideas of about humanity. You know, what is our purpose? You know, what is our uh, end game? Why are we here? You know, the, the philosophical questions that everybody asks at some time in their life. You know, it does kind of depend on the creator because if you know, you, you know, get the movies and stuff. If you get a creator that makes the bad, you know, the bad robot. Um, if it's a bad evil creator, then it. You know, is it is it the robot's fault that it's doing evil things? You know, well, it's just doing what it's programmed to do. But we wouldn't say that about somebody, you know, a person, right? You know, that's the difference between, I think we talked about last time, sentience and sapience. You know, a, a lion can eat a zebra and we don't arrest it. But, it, you know, if, if, if we kill another person and try to eat them, then that, that's usually seen as a no-no, as a moral well, you can't, do you put morality on artificial intelligence? These are the questions that are out there. And these, I think, minds that are mathematical or scientific can help these things because science is right in the middle of this stuff. And where do we stop? And there's people that are really, and fear is a, I think is a, it can be a great motivator. There are people mm-hmm. scared, you know, that like they're going to, we're going to start doing stuff that even I've had, I've talked to people that are scared of artificial intelligence driving a car by itself. I don't want to be on the road with one of those. What about you, Dave? Are you, are you pro uh, self-driving car or even talk about why would somebody worry about that? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's one of those things that one mistake is pretty costly because it often will involve lives where if I make a mistake in my job, it's probably going to be a pretty minor offense. But a mistake in artificial driving is at high stakes. And so uh, normally I'm not of the camp where I'm worrying about mistakes. In fact, I, I like to encourage mistakes, but I'm not in the camp of saying I want to encourage mistakes in artificial driving. You know, that's something where we want to be pretty sure about before we pull the trigger on going forward with that. Yeah, and I think that's the the good thing is when we we weigh 
whether or not to do a particular thing. It's not always just a numbers game, to, not to be uh, no pun intended about the math stuff, but it, it isn't always that. It, there's more to it. And I think you can, from what I've read, and again, it hasn't been a lot, but you could make a case that if it's done well and this, the highways are set up correctly and all that, the mistakes that an artif- a, a computer, we'll just go with that, artificially intelligent computer would make in driving are going to be less than a person. You know, an, a self-driving car doesn't get tired. A self-driving car isn't seeing what's on the radio. Self-driving mm-hmm. car isn't isn't talking on the cell phone with one hand, you know, and you know, and you know what I mean. Or, or mm-hmm. I'm down the uh, interstate a couple weeks ago, and somebody was driving with their foot out the window. Um, <laughs> well, a self-driving car wouldn't do that, you know. So what I see, what I mean, the, the, the user error, you know, you right. wouldn't have to worry about. It. I know I had a, an uncle that was a uh, or a cousin that was a uh, truck driver, and you know, and they have rules how long they can drive because they get tired. They can only put so many miles in or, or hours in mm-hmm. a particular day or week. Well, you wouldn't have to do that with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because they don't. Yeah. So, but even if, and I, I, I'll answer this myself, even if I saw the math, I saw the statistics that says that, that, that self-driving, artificially intelligently driven cars were more safe because of the decisions they make. I still would step back and say, I'm not sure I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's artificial, right? It's, where is there? And, and it's the same thing you were talking about with the proofs. Are we missing uh-huh. something here? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Are they going to all of a sudden veer over because of some algorithm and knock on every car in the freeway? You know, you just worry about that. Yeah. I think our best bet at being most safe on this is if we go to artificial intelligence, is that we go. 100% where all the cars are artificial intelligent and the cars can communicate to each other. Because then I think we have a much uh, more solid solution than you have an artificial uh, intelligent car and then you have a human car going down the highway and they're not going to be speaking together. And uh, I, I think that there could be tremendous value is if uh, everything is computer driven and the computers are communicating with each other, then unless there is some glitch uh, in the system, which, of course, is still the biggest concern, to me, it seems like it could have great potential to be a much safer environment. Yeah, and I think that's what the goal is. But you but you get into when you talk about human things and. And then you get into the idea of, um, you know, morality, what is good. I mean, again, the computer's not, it's going to make a determination on what is good. I'm not saying that, but it doesn't really have a moral intuition, you know, of what is, what is good and what is not. And you get into that. And, and, you know, not that I was thinking about that, but this will be a good advertisement for eventually our next video series. It'll come in a few months about uh, rules and sports and all that kind of stuff. We'll get into morality and ethics and stuff and, and how different ways of doing that because they're, they're not as clear cut as we think. But one of the things I, I wanted to get into and as we get toward the end here is the idea of, and we talked about this non-physical because that's, I think we're kind of hitting that this, this intelligence is, I don't know if non-physical is quite the right word, but it, it's, it's, it's certainly not human intelligence. Um, it, it, but the, but the idea of relating to those things, cause I've seen it. It's been out there. 
Now they're talking about, would somebody be able to have a relationship with a artificially intelligent robot? Um, so, you know, it would make it easier. I guess the dating apps would be easy. You just get on the dating app and you just, they just send you one or, you know, what? You know, <laughs> <laughs> be much easier for people. They wouldn't have all the middle anguish and stuff. So, but that's getting into something different, isn't it? Uh, when it you're is. talking about words like, cause we've used words, uh, in this, even in the math side about beauty, goodness, well, truth, certainly, but even the word love comes in there. Mm-hmm. You know, can you, you know, to be, I get kind of sounds blunt to say it this way. Can you fall in love with a computer? You know, that's the, <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying you really like your MacBook. I mean, that, that's a different, that's like liking chocolate or something, you know, yeah, we can all do that. But I'm not, I really have a relationship with, because it's, you know, with, with that, you know, we're talking about an artificially intelligent, I was, I almost said being, and do we even call it that? Um, uh-huh. does, this, does this have sentience or is it just a, you know, just kind of a real uh, developed or uh, computer, you know, because wouldn't it all come down, it, attributes would come down to how it was created, right? Mm-hmm. And so you get the, but there's a lot of philosophical things going in here, you mm-hmm. know, and even religious things. You know, what, where, what are we talking about? You know, morality, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? You know, people are talking about this stuff because mm-hmm. you know, COVID kind of got everybody to, well, not everybody, but some people to, 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 to interact with people less. Uh, and, you know, I'm not saying, I guess when I say that, I'm not saying that's better or bad. I mean, it's, it's, you know, people were, there was a real virus and it, it had some ability to, to, to cause some big problems. I'm not saying that. So for the safety, we we're talking about safety with the, the different cars. You know, are people going to do that? These are questions that I think philosophers are dealing with, but I think scientists have to deal with too, and mathematicians. Because mm-hmm. uh, this is the, our world will change if most of the things that we do we're interacting with really a non sentient artificial being, for lack of a better term, than we are with with actual. And then, then. And this is a big rabbit trail. We won't go down too far because we don't have a lot of time. But are those eternal? What if you hit the off button? Mm-hmm. You know, what's left? Um, mm-hmm. You know, is it, it, does it just reboot and forget? You know, again, it's just I, it, there's a lot in memory and all that things that go on. Um, so what is it? What What's necessary, I think? And this is the question we'll probably probe in later podcasts, but what's necessary for what we would call real sentience, a being that can make its own decisions or the word we talked about a couple podcasts ago, sapience, which has to do with first person awareness with what you're doing and and feelings and emotion and beauty and goodness and love and truth. And yeah, we usually don't associate those with, with computers, you know, Mm -hmm. Because really, that's Correct. what this is, right? And, mm-hmm. and so uh, it, it makes a, and of course, you bring in the religious questions, you know, well, what does, you know, and I think anybody, atheists wouldn't probably put that in, but almost anybody that thinks of God and, and their concept, you know, well, what does God think about artificial intelligence? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, is God upset if we have, we use it all the time, right? To some extent, I've, my, my car has a, a backup camera and it will actually turn the wheel if you're hitting something, uh-huh. which is artificial. Um, right. It'll break for me if I'm too close to something without me telling it to. Does God mad at me for not breaking myself? You know what I mean? I mean, those questions mm-hmm. come up and where do, where do we stop? Because the word safety comes into 
into mind. Yeah, I'll, I'll, so I guess if you have any thoughts about the relationship side of things, um, I guess would you say would you say that we should maybe use some caution there? <laughs> I do. Yeah, it's uh, things I haven't thought too much about. But I do think that having relationship with artificial intelligence really is a rabbit trail that we don't want to go down. Yeah. And I do think going back to not so much a rabbit, but a dog, like I talked a couple podcasts ago, you can have a relationship with your cat, with your dog, with your parrot. Heck, you can have a relationship with your fish to some extent. But don't we all realize that's different than relationship with our spouses and our kids and our parents and uh, our friends? It's not saying that the other relationship isn't real. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just different. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if someone we love dies, we go through, a you know, usually the mourning period, a grieving period because we've lost someone we care about. You know, and if, if, if your dog dies, I'm sure I'm sure when mine dies, I won't be happy, but I'll probably just. Bury her in the backyard. I mean, it's just, I mean, that's what you do. I mean, it's not that it's not great, but it's different, different level. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the way to look at it as we, as we end up here is that an artifact, you can have a relationship to some extent, if you want to use that term or relate to, let's just say that you could relate to something that's artificial, but you have to remember this is, this is not real. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that's probably a good thing. You know, there's almost 8 billion people in the world. There's plenty of people to relate to if you want to. Um, <laughs> don't really need to add a bunch of artificial people out there to, to relate to uh, along top of that. But again, it, this all kind of comes back to that idea of when we we talked about this a, a, a few weeks ago, about when we when our physical stealth stops, our whole probing here on the life side was, do we have, is there a non-physical part that continues eternally? Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, that would only be sentient beings that have a soul, that have a a spirit, that have something that's non-physical, that's real. Mm -hmm. And that probably uh, on the life side of things is where we should focus our, our efforts more in developing those relationships than something that, and I think it's a great word, something that just is ultimately artificial. Uh-huh. So, so yeah, this has been, uh, uh, this has been intersecting us podcasts. We, uh, we've gone through all of the videos, I think in podcasts, all the seven, uh, and in the, uh, eternity series. And I think the whole idea here was to get you to think about eternity. Matt does that such a good job of that, mm-hmm. uh, getting our imagination going and looking at uh, infinity and, and the things you did, Dave, to show us all these wonderful different ways of thinking of things and the beauty and the uh, and the fun and the joy you get with doing that, and then bringing it into life side and, and and thinking about our mortality and who how we're made up and mm-hmm. and what really matters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I uh, I I had uh, thought to maybe wrap up the math part of the uh, eternity series in that you mentioned earlier in the podcast about kind of like uh, schizophrenic, and it reminded me of a couple of mathematicians that dealt with really really heavy topics. First of them was George Cantor, and he was in the eighteen hundreds, and he was the one that essentially formed our current idea of how to handle infinity in math. 
And what he came up with was there's different levels of infinity. And so the, for example, he identified that the infinite set of positive integers is the same size as the infinite set of positive even numbers. And even though it looks like one is way bigger than the other, you know, he came up and said that they're no, they're the same size. But then other sets of numbers, like the real numbers, was a bigger set of infinity. And he came up with some really crazy ideas that were not accepted by the majority of math people at that time. But slowly over time, they did become accepted. But he paid a heavy price for that. He he was schizophrenic. He was depressed. He spent uh, most of his latter parts of his years in a mental institute because this topic was so heavy for him to deal with. And he saw it as not just a numbers game, but he saw kind of like how it pertained to life, that this was not just about math, but this was the bigger question about like, you know, why are we here? And so it's really interesting that people have wrestled with this and struggled with it because it's heavy topics. And then the second guy was Kurt Godel. Uh, a girdle is the way I pronounce it, but uh, he came around in the 1900s and he was a contemporary of Einstein. In fact, those guys went on walks together and he likewise dealt with some heavy topics, but like Cantor, he ended up being kind of like insane and struggled with uh, mental health because he again was dealing with this topic that we're talking about. So The bottom line is, if this topic of infinity, eternity seems heavy, it's because we it is heavy and uh, there's so much to think about. But that doesn't mean that there's not been some amazing things that others before us have uncovered. And it's fun to kind of think about their ideas and how that impacts our life today. And I think philosophically, one of the things that may not be foolproof, but that can help people that think about things deeply like that, because you do have more than there's philosophers that have kind of gone off the deep end and, and, you know, struggled mentally because of thinking of eternity and these things. I think doing it in a community is so much better to have. Mm. Well, that's kind of what we're trying to do here. You know, if these things are things that people think about, you know, give us some comments, some questions. It's better to do together. Uh-huh. And even the more, the merrier. Uh, because then there are things that maybe these two guys, if they had just had a couple partners to talk to about, they may have been able to look at it from a little bit different perspective and, and mm-hmm. maybe get a handle on it and try to look at. Because ultimately, it comes down to when people kind of you know get that get that problem psychologically, it's because they they don't see they're, they're having trouble with purpose, meaning, and existence, and, mm-hmm. and they don't have anybody to to see that. And so, yeah, for all of this, I guess we could kind of end with this, you know, what we're hoping you do. It's great to think about things. It, it's, it's great to think about a lot of different things, but what we really want you to do is not think about something, but make sure in your life that the most important things are thinking about someone or someone's because mm-hmm. ultimately you're going to find your purpose in other people and those relationships uh, that come with.
been the Intersecting Us podcast. To further engage with Intersecting Us, go to intersectingus.com.